Ben. Cheers. Thank you. Well, good evening. I'm Dave, um, in case you missed it. I know a few of you. But uh, who had a good day? Anyone have a good day? Yeah? Half, half a good day? Well, if you had a bad day and still came to church, good on you. Um, does anyone know the, uh, the story or the, the, the nursery rhyme, um, Three in the Bed? You know, like, there were three in the bed and the little one said, roll over. That's right. So I was thinking about that because we, uh, we say our kids' um, prayers at, at bedtime and, you know, most kids know that story. And I, I was saying Elkie's prayers one night and... I came to the end, and I, I grew up in church and spent a lot of time in church where you would say, like you would often hear people say, and we all said, amen. Everyone kind of knew that. And so I got to the end of the prayers, and I said, and we all said, and Elkie, who hasn't like spent as much time in like traditional churches that I had, kind of looked up at me strangely and said, Are we all roll it over? <laughs> And it, it, was, it was a pretty classic, but it made me think about how often what is the norm for us becomes just accepted in our life. Um, and we, we often don't think about how different phrases or different stories, you know, things we've heard in the Bible, things we've heard in church, um, they kind of just become normalised, they, they become blasé. Um, and I feel the same about miracles to some degree. Like we often, anyone who spends a lot of time in churches has heard, you know, Jesus performing these amazing miracles, crazy things happening in the Old Testament. Um, but we often don't stop and reconsider those things that we're so used to hearing. Um, so it's really cool to really just work into some of these miracles and look at what they mean for our lives today. Um, so I think we're in the middle of a series on miracles. Last week, Will Small spoke. Um, a few of you might have heard that. Um, that was pretty good. I listened to the podcast. Um, but I think it's important because as 21st century people, we tend to be a bit blasé, as I said, about them. Um, it's you know as if they just become... like We either treat them as something that is just kind of sci-fi and maybe didn't really happen, or we just don't think much about them at all. So... The, the miracle that I want to look at tonight is a slow burn miracle. It's, it, it includes some um, amazing stuff, um, but I want to link it together to give us a picture of how we see God at work in the world throughout thousands of years of history. Um, because it really is, when we link it all up, a mind-blowing thing. Um, it's, it's interesting that I feel like as Christians who grow up in churches, we often get just enough Jesus to inoculate us from the power of these stories. And so it's nice to sit back and let them really impact us again to every generation, reinterpret and reinvestigate the importance of these things. Because um, I think we often take for granted the fact that we, or maybe even lie to ourselves about the fact we're probably more formed by our local culture by you know consumerism and that kind of individualism than we actually are formed by the work of Jesus in our lives um, so what I what I loved about looking at this and looking more closely at it is that it really changes everything um, we see Jesus at this tiny point in history showing up on the world stage in an obscure middle eastern outpost in the Roman Empire and he's the creator of the universe God himself took on human form fully and completely. We're told that Jesus was God and that if we want to know what God looks like, we look at Jesus. 
Um, and I think lots of these miracles, Will mentioned last week, oftentimes these miracles are kind of um, a chance for us to see what the world could and should be like. It's a little glimpse of the kingdom that Jesus spoke about. Um, and so, yeah, as, as, we, um, as we look at that, hopefully there's a bit of a new aha moment for us that we look at it and we, something ignites within us and we recognise something fresh. Um, the other thing that I'd like to, look, uh, like to note before we start is when we consider all of these things, um, actually what Jesus asks of us, what he asked of the, the people who are there seeing his miracles was, you know, you've seen this amazing thing, how are you going to change your life? How is your life going to look different from here on forward? Um, how are you going to live into this incredible thing you've seen? Um, and so I think it's the same for us to hear tonight. Every time we consider the Word of God, every time we look at the Bible, every time we interact with each other as, as the church, we need to be thinking about how God can impact us and how we can change our lives in light of that. Um, because Jesus is still working in the world today, we should expect that fully and absolutely. Um, so, like most stories in the New Testament, the story we're going to look at tonight actually begins in the Old Testament. Um, so, if anyone's, if you want to bring your Bible or whatever, um, we're going back to Exodus. Um, and I want to look at this passage in Exodus 16, which is it's the story of Israel in the wild, deserted barrenness of the Middle East and Sinai. And they've, at this point in Exodus, it's Exodus 16, um, they've just escaped from Egypt, come across the Red Sea. God's miraculously parted the waters and, you know, stopped certain genocide. Um, and, but now their problem is that they're staring headlong into this barren wasteland that is wilderness and doesn't look very hospitable. Um, and it starts there in verse 12 it says so the Israelites are about a month and a half clear of Egypt when the sea miraculously parted to let them through they're looking headlong into the Sinai desert and starting to get a little homesick they complained to Moses and Aaron saying if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death it would have been a pretty, uh, pretty fun job being Moses and Aaron, I reckon. Like, you know, you see this most incredible thing happen and, uh, you know, a few, month, a few weeks later we're, we're down in dumps again. Um, obviously God knows that the Israelites need food. Um, I think it's funny we so often forget that Jesus actually knows what we need and so we see something amazing happen or we, we take for granted our, the provision that God's provided and something comes up in front of us and we, you know, want to throw in the towel not realising that God actually probably sees a little bit further than us. Um, so God knows they need food. He tells Moses that he'll provide it for them. Six days a week, he gives them quail in the evenings and manna, in the, uh, manna bread in the mornings. On the sixth day, they'd prepare some extra food for the, the, the seventh day because the, the manna and the quail won't come. Um, so if you're listening carefully, you might pick up that little reference to Genesis there, the six days and the seventh rest. Um, but at this point, Yahweh speaks to Moses and said, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat the meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And that evening, quail came down and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the, of the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. They did not understand about the bread. 
And it's that little aspect of bread that I want to pick up on and draw this line through, through the story. Because um, I think what this story shows to me is that God is continually throughout Scripture, as in this specific example and throughout history, sending himself into the world. And most of the time, we as people don't really recognise it. We don't see what's going on. You know, as I said, the Israelites only a month and a half before had been rescued from genocide and God shepherds them out of Egypt and it doesn't take them long before they forget that amazing, miraculous provision. Um, and, you know, it's easy for us to kind of laugh, laugh at that. But again, as I said, I think we're, we're, our time frames for whinging are probably about the same. Um, but, and even still, despite all that, God sends them this food and they, it says the quail. This says they got quail and a flatbread that tasted apparently like wafer bread made from ground coriander seed. It sounds like um, something you'd get in a hipster cafe. Not a vegan one, obviously, because they had quail. But that'd be all right with me. You know, they're in the middle of the desert and they've got this food that is obviously sustaining them. But it's not just you know, it could have been anything. It could have been pretty bland. Um, and the amazing thing is here, he does it for six days a week for 40 years. That, if you're quick at maths, that's about 12,500 times. Um, you know, even that by itself is incredible. Um, and that, if, if that's where we stop tonight, we would just see God's abundance versus our often sort of mindset of scarcity. Um, it's a perfect example of God knowing our needs providing for our needs and letting us know that he's concerned with all of us, not just the one, not just you or me, but everyone. Um, another thing to note is that you notice at the end of that passage, um, Yahweh says to the, to the people, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So he sends this provision and says, then you will know that I'm the Lord. And it's interesting because not long after this, Moses goes up to the top of Mount Sinai and gets the Ten Commandments. And after that, um, the Jewish people have what, it, what, have what they call the Shema, which is a, a daily prayer. They would have all known it. They would say it you know, before they put their feet on the ground in the morning, before they took their feet off the ground for the night. Um, and it was a short prayer that kind of was like a spiritual formation exercise. It reminded them who they were as people. Um, I think I put it up on the screen there. Um, I meant to put it in my notes, but there it is. So this is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And Jewish people, observant Jews, still say this today. It's, <coughs> excuse me. It's the reason some of the, like the really, um, you know, um, what's the word? The really serious Jews. They they literally wear these things in little boxes. Um, they paint on their door frames, the Shema. Um, but I want to. I, I just wanted to note that because the the miracle there, Yahweh said to his people, "This is so that you know that I am the Lord your God." And I think it's that little moment where God shows a bit of himself to, to us as humans. And it's to show us that he is God, the God of provision. Um, and we pick up that point further when we look at the, our next story in Mark. Um, because I don't think that God providing bread is an accident. It keeps popping up all the way through 
the Old Testament, it makes its way into the New Testament, and then it sticks with us today. Um, and we actually hear that Jesus gives his followers, us, a new Shema, a new creed to live by, which is quite similar to this one. Um, but hold that thought while we move into Mark 6. Um, in Mark's account of the gospel, we find the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, followed by walking on water. It's in Mark 6, verse 30 to 52. Um, so he's been followed around by this crowd, just trying to get away, um, but they, they, they want to hear more from him. And we're told that a large crowd's been forming and they want to listen to his teaching. Uh, but it's, it's all come to this point where they've lost track of time and they need something to eat. So um, Jesus, the disciples you know, give Jesus a nudge and say, look, we're, we're a long way out of the country. It's very late. Pronounce a benediction and send these folks off so they can get some supper. I think this one's up on the next slide too, if, if anyone wants to read along. And so they've said this to Jesus. Jesus says, you guys do it. Fix them some supper. And uh, they replied, are you serious? You want us to go and spend a fortune on food for their supper? And, but Jesus was quite serious. <coughs> How many loaves of bread do you have? Take an inventory. It didn't take long. Five, they said, plus two fish. And Jesus got them all to sit down in groups of 50 or 100. And they looked like a patchwork quilt of wildflowers spread out on the green grass. He took the five loaves and two fish lifted his face to heaven in prayer, blessed, broke, and gave the bread to the disciples. And then the disciples, in turn, gave it to the people. He did the same with the fish. They all ate their fill. The disciples gathered 12 baskets of leftovers. More than 5,000 were at the supper. So there again, we see a miracle about bread. Um, And it's kind of similar to the one in Exodus, where God's chosen people are there. They don't understand like in, in Exodus, four and a half thousand years pass and Jesus is there on this hillside and still the 12 disciples don't understand the bread. They didn't really understand what was happening. You have Yahweh, Jesus himself, God in flesh and blood, sent himself into the world and you know it wasn't again just a light meal and it tells us that everyone ate their fill. And again we see God's vision of abundance, his concern for all people. Um, <clears throat> so in this miracle we see God incarnate showing us that he's got it covered it's that little bit of recognition that we should have there that we don't need to stress and scratch and fight for our personal vision of the good life that Jesus offers us a different way and it's more than enough um, in contrast to sort of individualism where everything's about me the Christian story this great miracle of God at work in the world is is you know showing us that we are not just an individual, we're a person, we're a part of a community, a community of God, and the Creator cares about everyone and, and wants to provide. And that thought forces me to think about my own life and my approach to possessions or time and money and business and family. And particularly in this story, I think it also imposes some limits on us. You know, we see an exodus where the people were told they could collect enough for one day they weren't to collect more. And people still, they saw the provision of God, but they, they wanted to hoard. And they collected more than they needed, and it turned to mouldy nothing in their hand the next day. And they, it was a very stark, clear message that, you know, don't take more than you need. You, you, God will provide. Trust me. Um, so, again, we have to ask ourselves the question, do we have the bravery to, you know, 
look into ourselves and ask, do I trust Jesus? Do I trust God to provide for me? Because I think that's what he's calling all of us to respond to in the gospel. Do you trust me? Do you understand the bread? Um, Something I really love about Mark's account is this amazing line in verse 52. Um, And I I was sort of came to awareness of it uh, by um, an Old Testament scholar called Walter Brueggemann. Um, He's... He's written extensively about um, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament and how it should reframe completely our understanding of economics um, as Christian people. But it's this line that said that the, the disciples were stunned for they still did not understand about the bread. And it's as if they're harking back to this story in Exodus where God has provided bread 12,500 times, day on day, year on year. God provides bread and, you know, it... This line in 52 is where they're sitting in the boat, they're freaking out, and Jesus walks out to them. And it says they, they were scared because they didn't understand what God had done with the bread. It's, it's, quite, it's quite amazing when we see this line all the way through. Um, you know, in Exodus, we're told that despite this miraculous quail and manna showing up day after day, you know, the people still tried to hoard. They didn't understand the bread. God is telling us that he is in the business of reforming and redeeming and restoring and providing life. And, you know, we're just like the Israelites. We're just like the disciples. We still don't fully understand the miracle of the bread. We don't completely trust God's provision. Um, I want to jump to our last story for tonight, and it's found in Mark 14, and it's the story of Jesus sharing his last meal with his disciples. Um, And we commonly know it as the Last Supper. It says at verse 22, In the course of their meal, having taken and blessed the bread, he broke it and gave it to them. Then he said, Take this, it is my body. Taking the chalice, he gave it to them, thanking God, and they all drank from it. He said, This is my blood, God's new covenant, poured out for many people. I'll not be drinking wine again until the new day when I drink it in the kingdom of God. And it's not long after this point that all of the disciples are disbanded, they scatter, they're completely dismayed. God, um, Jesus is taken into um, captivity and Peter denies Jesus three times. Again, there's this, there's this point where we see the bread and the disciples didn't understand what he was saying. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd submit to you that this story is perhaps the biggest miracle of all. We see it, this long you know, thousands of years long story throughout the Old Testament and the New and culminates with Jesus telling us that I've been telling you this all along. I provided the bread. I provided the bread. I am the bread. And it's quite amazing. Um, it kind of blows you away when you look at it like that. If we, if we look very clearly, um, you know, it's, it's hard to miss. But when we are blasé about it and when we don't consider it, it's... It, it's almost we gloss over it. So in the New Testament, we read of God, true to his missional nature, sending his son Jesus and revealing the very image of himself. We're told that us as humans are made in the image of God, and that's often referred to as the, in, as the Imago Dei. Um, and so, you know, we've got Jesus as a human showing us what God is like, and it shows us a better way to be human. Jesus is the bread of life, reveals to us, miraculously, a better way to be his creation. He provides that. He provides in revelation of himself, the Lord their God, the Lord our God. 
he miraculously brings forth abundant bread and, and breaks it to, to sustain us. Um, you know, and then in that final story of Jesus sitting around with his friends, it'd be amazing to be a fly on the wall, you know, having this guy there that you've been following around, you're sure is, you know, the saviour of the world is going to come and redeem everything, telling you that he's about to die, but telling you it's all right because his body that's being broken is the bread that will sustain you. And Jesus clearly saw it as important. He talked about it in the Lord's Prayer. You know, if, and many people know that, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. You know, and then he talks about it as well in, um, in you know, our understanding of um, the, the Shema I mentioned earlier. It's in Exodus, he says, give us this day our daily bread, and he provides the bread. Give us this day our daily bread, and he feeds the 5,000 Give us this day our daily bread, and he gives us his body. It's, it's, it begs the question, it just made me sit up and think, do I understand the bread? Thousands of years of story, and it all culminates in this same question, do you understand about the bread? I mentioned earlier that Jewish Shema, um, and how God, in giving his body, provided a new Shema. Jesus gave his followers a new creed because the whole purpose of the manna and the quail was to show the Israelites that I am the Lord your God and the Lord is one. Well, Jesus knew that, obviously, being a good Jew, um, and that that is originally shown to us in Deuteronomy. And so all of the people that were following him would have known that as well. But Jesus, as the bread of life, gives us a new Shema, a new creed to live by, and it pulls the whole thing together he changed it a little bit and he took the hero Israel bit and he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And so all of the Jews at this point would have been going, yep, got that, know it. And then he takes it a further step and says, now this is about how you live in the world. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And it just strikes me that with the bread that Jesus gives us, he gives us a new covenant, a new way to live, a new way to be human. And it suggested to me that the challenge for all of us is we need to try to understand the bread and learning this creed perhaps is a way to start, a way to inform the way we live. I'd be willing to bet that if as a community we all took those words seriously, not only will we understand the meaning of the bread and what Jesus did for us, but those in our lives and our communities and our families will start to develop a taste for the living bread that Jesus offers as well. Um, would you pray with me as we um, come to a time of communion and have another chance to consider the bread? Um, consider what it means for you moving forward this week. You know, Jesus giving his body for you and calling us to consider loving him with all of our heart, mind and strength, with all of our soul, and then telling us to love our neighbours as ourselves. Just as we take the bread and drink the juice, think about what that means for your life moving forward from this day. Jesus, uh, thank you for being the bread. Thank you for the story that you provide all through history, Um, the threads that are woven and 
that continue through those stories and, and only start to make sense when we start to look at them from the perspective of you. Um, help us to remember that you are the bread, you are the bread that sustains us and that you are always willing to provide, you're wanting to provide and uh, that we should, we should trust you in that. In your name we pray. Amen.